Go ahead and grab your seats. I want to welcome you in Mesa at South Mountain in our chapel services at Fountain Hills. We've got church family online and we're worshiping together today. And I know the Lord wants to do something powerful in our lives. Do you believe that? Well, it's good to be with us uh, all together here like this. And we're in a series on prayer. Uh, I hope last week was encouraging to you to approach your father like a child. I was thinking about how on the Easter weekend, I preached six times in just a couple of hours there, it felt like, between Saturday night and Sunday morning. And that's a lot. I think that's the most I've ever preached in that short of a period of time. Uh, Usually when I'm preaching, I'm thinking about what I have to preach, and I'm also thinking about trying not to lose my voice. It's like a big concern for me. (laughs) I stress about this on Sunday just as much as if the Cardinals will win or not. And on Easter Sunday, I'm driving into church for sermons uh, three through six, and I'm just praying, like, Father, help me to preach these sermons. I want to try to get through all of these sermons, and I'm just kind of hoping that you'll help me with this. And it was a really cool situation, because as I started preaching that morning, uh, each sermon, my voice actually got stronger than the one before it. And it was really weird. Um, That's the first time that's ever happened to me in my 10 years of preaching. If you sing or if you use your voice a lot, you know that's not really normal for your voice to get stronger and stronger and stronger, like that far into the process. And I was just so thankful that God helped me with that situation. Uh, How many of you hear a story like that and you think, well, that's cool, bro, but that could be a coincidence. You know, I mean, like there's probably other natural explanations for that. Uh, You know, most of the sermons that I've heard on prayer growing up in church usually consist of a pastor getting up and telling a bunch of really amazing stories about answered prayer and then encouraging you to believe and pray for incredible things. And I love sermons like that. They're amazing. But I want you to understand that this is not that kind of sermon. I love great stories, but here's the thing. Great stories will get you praying, but they won't keep you praying. I'm not going to tell you a lot of good stories today. What I want to do is teach you good theology about prayer. Good theology will keep you praying. About a year and a half ago, when my dad was sick with COVID and he went into the ICU, you know, I was praying for him to be healed. My family was praying for him. Our church was praying for him. Many of you in the chapel, thousands of people around the country were praying for him, that God would heal him. And yet, that is not what happened, not in the way that we wanted it to. He died. And coming out of a situation like that, many people would become jaded and cynical about prayer. Like, I prayed with all my heart, and God didn't do anything. What is the point of prayer? And when my dad died, I was heartbroken that he died, but I was also kind of scared a little bit for my faith and the faith of this church because I thought, God, I just lost my dad. I don't want to lose my faith in prayer too. And so a lot of us ask the question at times, does prayer work? And that's the title of this sermon. Does prayer work? And the answer is yes, prayer works. And it doesn't just work the majority of the time. Prayer works every time. Just not always in the way you wanted it to. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, have faith in God. 
Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now this is a challenging passage. You can probably see why people read this and then go down one of two extreme roads. Either you take this at face value and then turn into a skeptic. Like you say, you know, I tried praying for God to throw the superstition mountains into the sea and they're still there. See, this doesn't work. It's not true. Or you go the opposite direction and turn into a name it, claim it televangelist treating God like your genie in a bottle. Prayer is one aspect of the Christian faith that whether we like it or not, is both simple and complex at the same time. The process of prayer is pretty simple. It's that we should ask, believe, and receive. And so I want to teach you what that means today. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, uh, these points, and follow along. And you'll probably need to follow up and uh, study this some more after the fact and chew on this. But first, we have to ask. We tend to avoid asking for what seems either too small or too impossible. Some of you struggle to ask God for help with the little problems. Like you're running late for work and you can't find your sunglasses and you think like, well, I can't find my sunglasses and like the thought pops into your head. You know, like I should ask God to help me find my sunglasses but then you automatically just kind of correct yourself and think, well, no, I mean, like I'm the one who lost them. I should probably find them. God has bigger fish to fry than helping me with sunglasses. Or like when I have my two-year-old daughter move the TV remote and I'm looking for it and I can't find it and I'm losing my salvation because I'm getting so frustrated. It's like, well, how can I ask God to help me find the TV remote? Like I just need to look for it a little bit more. And even if I can't find it, there are kids starving in third world countries. Like how am I going to really feel bad for myself? God probably thinks I'm such a brat right now complaining about this. TV remotes. I just want to ask, like, why is it that we throw God's grace out the window when it comes to prayer? We tell ourselves, you know, I made the mistake. I don't deserve God's help. Or my problems aren't as big as other people's problems. And, and if I ask for help with these little things, won't I sound ungrateful for all the other good things that I do have? The other day, my little daughter, two years old, Lila, fell down and she kind of skinned her knee and she came running to me crying and you know, what, like, what did I do in that moment? What do you think I did? I, like, what are you crying about? Like I told you not to run in the first place. You, you want a band-aid? A band-aid? Really? Get it yourself. This will teach you to listen to me when I tell you not to run. You deserve this. This will teach you a lesson. I'm right and you're wrong. I'm smart and you're dumb. You deserve this pain. But that's how you think a lot of times that God responds to you when you're struggling. Like I, I scooped her up like, baby, come here. I'm going to help you. I will give you 100 Band-Aids. I'm going to make it feel all better, and then I'm going to give you ice cream afterwards. <laughs> this is a true story. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? This isn't like a hypothetical question. This is a real comparison. I am a sinful man, and yet I give my daughter unmerited favor that she doesn't deserve. 
how do, you, how do we think sometimes? Like how, how is it that we sometimes get into this thing? We think like we're better parents to our kids than our Father in heaven is to us. How much more does God want to give good things to you? His grace doesn't give us fairness. It gives us favor. And that extends from the big things like salvation from hell all the way down to the little things like finding your keys or a parking spot at the mall on Christmas time. Now, there are some of you, you struggle more to ask for help with the impossible problems, the big things, and you just kind of feel unworthy. You think, well, maybe if I was Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, I'd have a shot, but there's no way that I have the rank to pray those kind of prayers. And fear creeps in sometimes when you're facing big situations. You almost can, can struggle, like, well, you know, what if I pray with my heart and every fiber of my being, and then it doesn't happen. What if it doesn't come to pass? I'm afraid I'll be so disappointed and crushed. It could be safer to just protect my faith and not get my hopes up. But Jesus tells us six times in the Gospels to ask. And the core message of what he teaches us about prayer is just ask. Just ask, God is your father, you are his child, you should pray like a child, and kids are not shy about asking for what they want. In Luke 18, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, look, like a child, will never enter it. Now, this isn't just about getting into heaven when you die. It's about receiving heaven on earth today. We're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is a place of complete blessing and health and joy and fun. Heaven holds every spiritual blessing with your name on it. Good things, pleasurable things. The Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But you can only receive heaven on earth if you have simple faith to ask for it like a child. When my little daughter is hungry, she's not concerned about how many calories she's already eaten this day. She's not keeping track of how many favors I've already done for her. She doesn't feel embarrassed or unworthy to ask for a snack because of the temper tantrum she just threw five minutes ago, right? And she's not worried about getting on my nerves either. She just knows I want a snack and you're the guy who can give it to me. That's childlike faith. That's not how an adult thinks about their problems. But my daughter doesn't think that way, and children don't think that way. Asking your father in heaven like a child is a declaration of your faith in his goodness. Now, maybe you got saved as an adult, or maybe you're a little bit overanalytical at times. Amen, anybody? Maybe you spent too much time around legalistic Christians, or you grew up in a works-based religion like Mormonism. And you never learned to ask your father like a child. It's easy for me to believe for salvation like a child. You know, like I can't save myself. I can't do anything to rescue myself from hell. I'm totally dependent on God to save me. But then when it comes to new life in Christ Jesus, I try to adult my way through life and fix my own problems instead of bringing my needs to our Father in prayer. I overanalyze the situation. I feel unworthy. I rationalize myself out of prayer at times. Any of you relate to that? I can't ask God to help me preach this sermon. I should have just prepared more, right? 
That's how an adult thinks. Asking for good things sounds selfish and needy. I should probably try and become a better Christian before I ask God for help. And we end up not receiving his blessing, the blessings of his kingdom, because we reasoned like an adult instead of trusting like a child. To receive like a child, you have to ask like a child. Prayer starts with asking for anything and everything. You don't need to worry about sounding selfish. You don't need to worry if the request is too big or too small or if you're praying the right way or if God has time for you. You don't need to worry about your recent behavior. Just focus on your identity. You're a child of God. He's your father and you can come to him with simple faith and just ask. <laughs> ask again. Keep asking for more. He loves your faith to ask. Now here's the second part. Believe. We know that somehow answered prayers are contingent on belief. Jesus said, if you tell this mountain to move and believe, it'll be done. What's we talk, what are we talking about here? In the Bible, mountains represent immovable, unchangeable objects. For example, in Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here we get an illustration from the Bible that God has been around even longer than the mountains. And so what Jesus is teaching us about moving mountains is that God can move even the impossible, immovable objects in your life. And he wants you to believe for it. And the way you express belief is by asking for the impossible. I know that some of you today have impossible mountains in your life. Maybe you have a diagnosis from a doctor and they said there's nothing more that can be done. All we can do is help you manage the condition. Or you have a prodigal child who's so far from God and every time you pursue after them and try to talk to them about God, they just move further and further away and it feels hopeless. Or maybe you're in a marriage where the love has grown cold and hearts have turned to stone and it's not a matter of if but when. People tell you, just accept it. Face the facts. Just gotta deal with it. But... Nothing is impossible for God. That's what Jesus said. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's be honest. We can read this, but we don't always believe it. Why is that? It's because doubt drowns out belief. We doubt in multiple ways. We doubt our access to God. Like, I don't think I'm worthy to bring this big of a request to God. Like, who am I? I'm sure that my sins probably cancel out my prayer request. We sometimes doubt he can do anything about our problems, and we limit his power, and we, we think, well, what if he's not even real? Most often, I think this is the biggest one, we doubt his love. Does he really care about me and my, my pain? Would he really be willing to do something that big for me? I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens to other people, but not me. Doubt can stop us from asking and receiving. And Mark 11, remember Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believe that it will happen, it will be done. So we gotta believe and not doubt 
And that's an important part of prayer. Now, no wonder when you read this, there's so much guilt about unanswered prayers. You immediately start to to feel bad about yourself and think, well, I must not have had faith. I must have let my guard down for a minute when I was getting ready for bed the other night. I remember I started to worry and and doubt creeped in and I, I spoiled the prayer. And, and you'll have a religious people and, and, and faith leaders and judgmental people will come along and say, well, if it didn't happen, you must not have really believed. Because, I mean, the Bible. I want you to think about this. If God didn't require your perfection to save you as a sinner, why do you think he'd require perfection to help you as his child? This, my friends, is why it's so important for you to read the whole Bible. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 about a dad who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus and asks for help. And in verse 22, he says, But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, ask Jesus. I mean, this guy ruined it. He obviously didn't have enough belief. He let doubt creep. Like, if you can do anything, this guy's about to get a beat down. Here's what Jesus says. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Okay, so Jesus goes on to cast the demon out, not based on the father's perfect faith, but his humble faith. He didn't have strong faith, but he just barely had enough faith to ask. He knew Jesus was the answer to his problem and the answer to his imperfect faith. It makes sense. In Matthew 17, there's another uh, illustration, an analogy by Jesus about faith and prayer. In mountains, again, but this time Jesus says, if you just had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So here's the thing. You don't need mountain-sized faith to see mountains move. You just need mustard seed size faith. You know, a mustard seed is about one to two millimeters in diameter. That's about the same size as the tip of a sharp pencil. That's all the faith you need. This is an important point. Belief is not fake certainty in your desired outcome. Let me explain this. The Holy Spirit at times might give you a a conviction, like a confidence that something you prayed for will happen. I've had that happen before where I prayed about something and all of a sudden I just had peace that came from God. Like it's taken care of. It's fine. And I just felt confident like it's already done. That, That didn't come from me though. That didn't come from my superhuman Hulk faith. I didn't like muster up that faith. I didn't white knuckle that faith. That was faith that was given to me by God. God as a gift in that moment. That was confidence that came from God. But the way that some people have been taught about prayer and understood these verses about prayer is that real belief is talking like and acting like what you prayed for will happen. You just have to believe harder and pray louder. You've probably heard people talk this way if you've been around church for a while. Like this is the person who had a two and a half point GPA in high school and yet she applies to Ivy League schools and she thinks I declare and decree I will go to Harvard I am already accepted to Harvard I bought the t-shirt because it is done I name it and claim it Harvard is my destiny I don't even need to apply to other schools 
And it's like, girl, community college is your destiny. <laughs> this type of prayer honestly sounds more prideful than humble. This type of forced belief is more superstition than supernatural. This is more manipulation than supplication. This is like Oprah trying to manifest her will into the universe. That's not what real belief sounds like. Belief is saying he can and I know. He can and I know. He can do anything and I know I can trust him with everything. He can heal the sick and I know he's good even if he does not. He can get me out of this and I know if he leaves me in it, it's for my good. He can give me anything and I know that if he loves me the way that he says he does, I can come to him no matter what I need and it will be taken care of. I know all my trust is in him. If I have a need, I'm going to ask my father. Because who else loves me like him? I don't have perfect faith. I have a little faith. And what little faith I have, I'm bringing to our way-making, miracle-working, promise-keeping God. And even if he doesn't give me what I ask for, I'm going to follow Jesus anyway. Because who else am I going to go to? That's what belief sounds like. He can, and I know. And then third, you have to receive. In Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. This is a challenging passage. Because on its own, it would seem like you should get whatever you ask for if you just believe. But at the same time, right, we know that not every request is granted. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this verse? Most people, if they don't receive what they ask for, they start to feel guilty, right? Like, I must not have had enough faith. Maybe if I had prayed longer or harder or more earnestly, I must not be worthy. Church leaders, right, religious people, ignorant people will say, hey, maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe this is God punishing you for what you did in high school. Why is it? We believe we're saved by grace, but then believe that our prayers are answered based on our works? The gospel applies to your prayer life as well as salvation in your life. Prayer does start, listen, with bold-faced, childlike asking. But then the Lord helps us grow into mature understanding. There was a problem in the early church, too, where Christians prayed and they didn't get what they asked for. And they probably went to their pastor like, well, what gives? And James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this in chapter 4 of his book. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. We've talked about that. You need to ask. And then in verse 3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay, so sometimes we don't get what we ask for because our prayers clash with God's heart. This is the person who says, God, please bless me with a raise. I know I don't tithe or trust you with my money, but maybe if you give me more, I will. This is the person who says, God, please heal my STD so I can sleep, sleep with more people on Tinder, you know, after one day. Like, 
This is the person who prays, God, please take out the Rams quarterback so I'll win my bet because my wife's going to kill me if I lose my rent money again. This verse in James isn't saying that God doesn't want you to have anything that's pleasurable. It's saying he doesn't want to help you sin. There's another helpful piece of the puzzle in understanding prayer and God's heart. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. Notice that. I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And in case you didn't hear me the first time, yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So what is this? Ask anything in my name. People ask sometimes, like, do I need to say, like, in Jesus' name when I finish praying? Do I have to say amen to, like, wrap it up and put a bow on it, like, close the prayer, put the stamp on it, and mail it to heaven? Like, people get sometimes confused about the mechanics of prayer. I want you to understand this. The name of Jesus isn't a magic Harry Potter spell. You just say at the end of your request, Abracadabra, in Jesus' name, it'll be done. You don't need to pray in Jesus' name, but you want to pray in Jesus' name as often as possible in the right way. Imagine, imagine uh, stumbling your way up to a, a castle, and you're dirty, and you're stinky, and as you draw close, the guards see you coming and they get tense and they prepare to turn you away. But as they ask you, what do you want? You say, I'm here to see the king. I come in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden they snap to attention and throw open the door and they usher you right in to the throne room of God. Jesus' name is the password that gives you access to the throne room of heaven. You would not have access to God on your own or by your own works. But in the name of Jesus, you have the authority to approach the creator of the universe as father and bring him your humble request, regardless of what you've done or where you've been. His name is the key. He said also, if you believe, notice, you can do the same works and even greater works than me. And he tells us to ask for anything in his name. He's talking about his works. There's a clue there. He's talking about his works. See, the name of Jesus also describes the mission of Jesus. His name in Hebrew was Yeshua. It literally means God saves. And that is why Jesus came. God came to seek and save the lost. That was his work. And he's telling us that when we pray in his name, we're praying in alignment with his mission, and even greater things can happen. When our prayers align with his mission, it'll happen. It kind of reminds me of in Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. People like to quote the second part of this verse 
without the first part. Like, yo, girl, I know you're single and you want a husband, but like, don't you worry. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Like, and it's like, well, that's not really exactly what this means. You can't go on dating non-Christian guys who live in their mom's basement and just trust that it's all going to work out for your good because that's not God's will for your life. He said, don't be unequally yoked, right? The taking delight in the Lord part is like the key qualifier for the promise that he will give you the desires of your heart. What does it mean to take delight in the Lord? When you take delight in the Lord, you love the Lord. When you love the Lord, you love what he loves. When you love what he loves, you want what he wants. When you delight in the Lord, you delight in his ways, and that changes the way you pray. This is why in James 5 it says, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. See, this isn't because the righteous person is more worthy to have their prayers answered. This isn't because the righteous person has special access to God's power. It's because the righteous man, the righteous woman, tends to pray in alignment with God's heart. They tend to ask for what God already wants. They tend to pray like Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Your will be done. Now, I've struggled with this sermon a lot because I want to encourage you to ask your Father in heaven. Bring all your needs to him in prayer and be confident and be bold and not worried about the process and the religious aspects and the right words and what you've done. I want you to have that kind of confidence, but... I also need you to understand the nuances and complexity of how prayer is answered. And so I struggle as a pastor because I don't want a mature perspective to undermine your childlike faith to come to your father and ask for prayers, right? Because a lot of times as we grow in spiritual maturity, we can start to overanalyze our prayers and stop praying like a child. And I feel like the Lord just kind of showed me maybe a way to help explain it. Uh, but a healthy prayer life is like building a tower. You have to start with the right foundation, and then you build from there. Anybody play the game Jenga growing up? Yeah, remember the game Jenga? Uh, Jenga is a fun game. You start to put down the blocks, and you build it up, and then slowly, piece by piece, you remove right, pieces, and you try to keep the tower standing. And I kind of had this image when I thought about how prayer should start and how it should look and how it should go and how we should progress. It starts with asking like a child. That's the foundation of understanding prayer. You just go to God with faith like a child and you just ask. Just ask without reservation. And then as you grow in faith, you start to take on more of a mindset that he can and I know. He can do anything, and I know I can trust him with everything. He can fix my problems, and I know he's good, even if he doesn't. Then, as you keep growing in your spiritual maturity, you start to more and more delight in the Lord. And your heart starts to align more and more with God's heart. And you start to want the things he wants. And then as you grow more in maturity, you start to pray your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. But the thing is, you can get to this your will be done level of prayer, but you're not supposed to lose that childlike faith foundation of prayer. If you do, the whole tower collapses. 
Now, here's what's going to happen. If you come to the Lord and ask like a child, you're going to have some selfish prayers and some sinful motives that sneak their way in. Amen? Right? You're going to be like, God, give my husband a six-pack like the fireman in my calendar. Right? And it's like, that's probably not right. Right? And you're going to have some selfish prayers like, God, just kill my neighbor's dog. It's been barking all night. Right? And like, that's okay. Just keep asking like a child. Just keep asking like a child. And you're going to ask with childlike faith. And you're going to have some doubt that kind of works its way in. Like, well, can he really? Is he even there? That's okay. Just keep asking. Just go back to asking again. You didn't ruin anything. You don't have to be perfect. Just keep building. Just keep asking. And then as you keep walking with God, you're going to start to delight in the Lord. And you're going to want more and more what he wants. And you're going to stop praying for God to strike down the boss at work who gave you a hard time. And you're going to start praying to be a better employee. And then you're going to keep asking. You're going to keep asking, right? And, and you're going to start to pray like, your will be done. But in your heart, sometimes you're going to be like, but please, let's do my will. That's okay. Just keep going back to asking and asking. And here's the thing. It's not your job to grow yourself spiritually. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to just abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Stay connected to Christ. Try to walk with Jesus. Just do your best. Just keep walking with Jesus. And as you keep walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will do his part. And just like in the, go back to that slide. Go back to that slide. Just like in the Jenga game, he'll come along and he'll start to pull out the selfishness. And he'll pull out the doubt. And he'll pull out the times your will has been prioritized over his will. And what remains is a more mature prayer like Jesus. There's still childlike faith. There's still trust in God's power. There's delight in the Lord. There's your will be done. And you can pray that way all the time, anytime. Like Jesus did. It says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Mount of Olives, the night before his death, Jesus told his disciples, I'm so sad I could die. And he goes off to pray. It says in Matthew 26, verse 39, Going a little further, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He went and checked on the disciples. They were sleeping like chumps. Then he came back and he prayed the same thing a third time. So here's Jesus, the only perfect person who's ever lived, full of faith, the Son of God, he prays, and he doesn't get what he asks for. But his prayer worked. In the process of prayer, he received exactly what he needed. So I want you to think about this. Notice, the first time he prayed, he said, My Father, he approached the Lord with faith like a son. My Father, there's intimacy. My Father, he's coming to God, his Father. If it is possible, if it is possible... Doesn't that sound like a lack of faith? 
Doesn't that sound like doubt? No, it's humility. He had the faith to come to his father, but he prays with humility. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You want this cup to be taken from you? What's wrong with you, Jesus? So selfish. Why are you being so selfish? No, he's being real. And our father in heaven wants real prayers. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. This wasn't name it, claim it prayer. He knows God's the only one who can, and he's not doubting God's ability to save. He's trusting his power and submitting to his plan. The second time he prays, he comes back and he says, my father, right, still coming like a child, still talking to his father, even though it knows he's not probably going to get what he's asking for. Still, my father, I still know you love me. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. This is going to be really hard, but I need you to get me through this, right? Sounds like a lot of doubt. A lot of, I know a lot of religious people and, and pastors who would criticize Jesus and say, no wonder you didn't get what you wanted. You didn't pray with enough faith. You didn't name it and claim it, bro. Why'd you give up? But it's not doubt. It's actually him being aligned with the Father. His prayer shifted to align with God's heart as he continued to pray. His prayer isn't changing God. His prayer is changing him. And that's what happens when we pray. Even knowing that his circumstances weren't going to change, prayer helped him to trust his father's plan and his father's love. How often have you made God's goodness contingent on getting what you asked for? People say, you know, God, he's good. But what they really mean is he's good if he gives me what I want. And then they wonder, like, well, why should I pray at all if he has a plan anyway? Why should I pray if if he's not going to give me what I ask for? Because prayer allows us to receive our Father's love even when his plan doesn't line up with our preference. Just like Jesus did in the garden. If you try to understand Jesus praying in the garden on a purely rational level, it seems crazy. Why would Jesus ask his father for something he knew wasn't going to happen? Well, it does seem crazy if you think about Jesus like he's a robot. But he wasn't a robot. He was a human being with, de- with desires and with passion and with feelings. And that's a part of who we are. And so if we remember that Jesus was a real person and not a robot, then his prayer makes perfect sense. There's an analogy I read in the book I referenced last week by Paul Miller, Praying Life. So read this with me. It says, On 9-11, the intense heat of the fire in the World Trade Center made it impossible for those trapped by the flames to descend, but also impossible to stay where they were. People responded with their only alternative, jumping to their deaths, many holding hands as they leaped. You have to ask, what's the point of holding hands? They knew they were going to die whether or not they were holding hands. But life is more than logic. As humans, we reflect the complexity of God. Part of divine beauty is that we were made for community. So when we leap to our death, we hold hands with a friend. When Jesus asks his father to remove this cup from me, he knows that the divine community he shares with his father is going to be broken at the cross. In asking and surrendering, just for a moment, he is holding hands with his father. 
See, Jesus didn't get what he asked for, but his prayer worked. His few hours of connection with his father got him through his crucifixion on the cross. When my dad was in the hospital before his death, I was praying for him to be healed, and hundreds of you prayed for him to be healed, and during the time, I had such a sense of peace, like, you know, it's going to be okay, I'm not even worried. The thing is, I didn't get what I asked for, but it was going to be okay. A prayer worked, and maybe you've prayed and it, it didn't happen, And in the face of disappointment, it can feel like God let you down, but he didn't let you down. He was holding your hands. That's why it's worth praying. That's why prayer works no matter what every time. Because it puts you hand in hand with a person who can lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Prayer always works. If you ask and believe, you will always receive. You might not receive what you want, but you'll always receive what you need. Prayer allows us to experience God's love every time. Sometimes his love gives us what we ask for. And sometimes his love holds back what we ask for. Sometimes his love gives us what we ask for, but at a later time than we wanted it because the delay is part of your development. Sometimes his love lets us stay in the belly of the whale because that circumstance, as scary and uncomfortable as it may be, is what will take us where we need to go. You just need to ask your father like a child. You need to believe that he can and know he is good. You need to delight in the Lord and align with his heart and seek his will above all else because prayer works. Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for your people that you would stir up in them a faith to pray and ask like a child, that we would come to you humbly and just trust in you. Despite our imperfections and our imperfect faith, we know you're good and you want good things for us and you want us to ask you for what we need. Forgive us for the times that we doubt you. Help us in our unbelief. We believe. And Lord, I pray that as we grow in faith, our heart will align with your heart and we'll start to want what you want and ask more for what you want to give us anyway. I pray that we'll always seek your will above our will, but never lose the faith to just ask anyway. We bring all of our needs to you, great and small, in Jesus' name. Amen.